Hello, and welcome to TNT, the Technology and Things podcast. Your host, Paul Ferraro, is a former IT exec and currently a technology advisor. Jeff Kruger, a fellow technology enthusiast, is the co-host. They both spent many years working for a Fortune 500 company and are both passionate about leadership, technology, and the community. During this episode, we will be giving you information about how you can win both a headset and a laptop. So please keep listening. And further down in the podcast, we will give you that URL and link for you to basically sign up. And the first 50 people that sign up on that will uh, receive a headset, a Bluetooth headset. And everybody that signs up on April 29th uh, will uh, be eligible to win a Dell laptop as well. So keep Good listening. Luck. Good luck. And keep listening, and then you will find out the link and everything. So thank you so much. Look at Trey's studio, too. He's got, he's got like, uh, Einstein in the background. <laughs> I like a little, ca- little ga- he's got a guest couch there, too. Yeah. I would yeah. say I got a guest couch, and that was, uh, that was a gift um, when we... VCE was acquired by EMC, so uh, I've kept it since then. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool that you got a gift. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your parting gift, <laughs> or your joining gift, I guess. Yeah, joining joining gift, gift not a parting gift. So uh, good to see you, Trey. It's uh, thanks for coming on our Technology and Things podcast this morning. Uh, during these uh, COVID-19 session here. So I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, Jeffrey is the other one here, Jeffrey Kruger. Hey, how's it going? He's a uh, co-host and a uh, friend of mine for, I don't know, 20, 20 plus years, I think. Yeah. Uh, something like that. It takes work to count now. <laughs> yeah. Used to be easier. So oh, I just knew this guy, you know, but now you see how to think about it. It's like a marriage almost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we kind of fight like a married couple too sometimes, but that's true. You know, that's a that's not really for this podcast, but but uh, anyways, Trey, I think the the uh, you know it's really kind of interested to talk to you because you you kind of have a lot of you kind of hit a lot of the different things that we're interested in, which is technology, leadership, uh, culture, all these kind of things, and you kind of you 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 obviously have. Uh, you're involved in all these different areas uh, with your role at uh, at Dell, and so, you know, we just want to kind of explore and talk to you about kind of how things are going these days and how you're managing things. And I guess the, the my my let's start off with this on the, on the leadership side of things. You know, how how are you managing things nowadays versus kind of what you were doing a couple of months ago? You know, it's interesting. Uh, leadership. Um, and, and providing guidance to a team prior to this global crisis was more of uh, in the walls of the office, in the bounds of the work day, in the scope of the things that you're working on. What's changed is, is we're coming into each other's homes. Um, we're seeing their kids and their pets. Um, I think the first week uh, or two, well, first week, everybody was dressed pretty formally. 
now I've got a polo shirt on and a pullover because it's a little chilly right now in my, in my house. Um, but, you know, we stopped wearing the jackets and, it, and we, we got to know each other um, at a different level. And I, I, I think leadership has evolved now in, into during COVID-19 and post-COVID-19 of, is being helping our employees in times of personal need and work need as those contexts have blended today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has caused me um, to get to know m- my team a lot better, to laugh a little bit more, and to care um, about how they're doing. And I think if we get any good thing out of this circumstance that we're in, is that I think we'll be more human at the end of this. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, you know, it, you mentioned you mentioned that sort of that first week about sort of coming into everyone's home, and I kind of forgot about that because that, that was sort of so, uh, it felt like it's like a, been a long time ago, but uh, that was a pretty big difference. You know, you, you almost didn't do, you know, we were all doing some video calls and things like that, but a lot of people didn't use the video, you know, um, and I work with a lot of customers and I know you do too. And I'd say, you know, a good 90% of them, they're using the video, you know, uh, especially if they see you kind of have it on already, they'll turn it on, you know, there is this video guilt, right? <laughs> so, so if you, if you're, you don't have it on, you feel obligated to put it on and you feel kind of out of the conversation. And, and so I, I must tell you, I, in the early days of my career, I did a lot of telephony-based uh, systems engineering. And video was a capability that you could add to any phone, and I just did not like it. I just didn't <laughs> want to have anything to do with it. It wasn't fun to me. My kids tried to FaceTime me even a day, and I just uh, calm. And so now after this, I actually like using video quite a bit because I, I love the idea of being able to – engage with individuals eye to eye see their interactions see their mannerisms um and yeah i have seen in a month people who normally would not use video myself included (laughs) now use it all the time and enjoy it and what it's interesting how we go through in our lives certain circumstances where the value of a piece of technology has has just emerged practically overnight. And I think video-based meetings are something that we're just going to live with and people will accept wholeheartedly. Um, I know that I know that I can speak for our company. We have. Um, we, we do a senior leadership meeting on a regular basis, sometimes weekly, uh, bi-weekly. And being able to see the leaders from across the world um, on a more regular basis instead of a, a live broadcast that's broadcast just a stream and you only see one um, or um, a conference call it, it has we have we have benefited greatly from this this change in this particular space of use of technology yeah you can't really tune out uh, when you're on video you know like just hey <laughs> like you're 
staring off over here and it, it is a tool for accountability right <laughs> like i mean i i remember being in in uh, big phone calls with uh with uh you know leadership and everyone would just be kind of dialed out and and tuned out and, and only one person would be talking at a time but we didn't really set up the video and, and if you set up the video it kind of holds everyone accountable for like are you are you engaged are you looking at me or are you you know off doing something else uh it's it's kind of it's kind of weird, creepy. Yeah, not sure I like it better for that reason, but it depends on the meeting, right? <laughs> I guess so. You know what? But there's there's always this interesting feature that you can click, like um, you can click the stop video button and say, "Hey, something happened to my camera," <laughs> <laughs> and then whatever you need to take care of, you could go do. But I I would say that in general as it, it just an interesting option. What are we, six weeks into this thing? Yeah, so I think far? something like that. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Um, I would say 100% of the meetings that I attend today have um, at least 90% of the participants uh, on video. And it, it's a rarity to not be on video. And that includes customers. Um, and and we get, and I, I really mean about the, the formality People are, are becoming more open to not be as dressed up. You know, people wear a hat every once in a while. Um, they're not afraid to have their kids sitting next to them. They're not afraid to mute the phone and answer a question uh, or have an animal sit in their lap. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, again, is a good outcome for how we work and interact with each other. Um, I mentioned it before, but um, if, if we can – if we could all become closer through this and 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 um, be more engaged with each other, uh, it will be a good thing. I know that what I think every analysis prior to this event would have said is global work from home is likely impossible because productivity will go down significantly. I have seen the exact opposite and i have confirmed it with my colleagues around the world is that they're working much longer days yeah <laughs> they're far more engaged and it's because of the ability of this technology just basically overnight yeah i think especially for kind of our industry that the yeah i've heard that as well from our clients that they're they're definitely working longer <laughs> Uh, they're, you know, that's sort of the work day never really ends. And, um, which, you know, I guess from a, from a productivity point of view is, is great. You know, uh, I guess we're still kind of figuring it out and we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm sure and we won't be working a hundred hours a week. One thing you mentioned too, uh, previously was that you have teams, I think in India, I don't know, Bangalore, Hyderabad. And you've got teams all over the world. And one of the things I thought was really uh, pretty cool was you were talking about how, you know, different parts of the world, they've been, they've struggled with different kinds of problems, right? Like some food problems or, you know, supplies of different kinds. And I think your, your team was, was actually your, your employees were actually kind of looking out for each other. Right. And there was, I forget the story, but it was something like that, that you, we quickly talked about. Yeah, it's very interesting. So I have I have team members in in California, um, in, um, in in the central of the U.S., 
east coast of the U.S., Cork, Ireland, and India, uh, Bangalore specifically. And depending on the areas of the world that you were in, there was different degrees of enforcement of a quarantine scenario. Mm -hmm. And uh, in some circumstances, uh, you're restricted to how far you can travel from your home. And some people lived in areas where they, they couldn't travel with inside that radius to a place that had food and water for them. So other uh, team members would learn this and help bring them food or water um, because they, they literally could not have access to this. So to see a team who we're all very privileged to work for a great technology company and anybody that works in technology, I think is, is, is fairly privileged today because we're at the heart of a lot of things that are going on in the world. Um, and enabling a lot of different industries to, to function at different levels. And so while I, I'm proud to work in this industry, it's also an odd circumstance to find someone who is as privileged to have a role in, in this industry suffer like that mm -hmm. um, because of circumstance. And to see our team members care for each other in a way where, where they – they go out of their way to bring whatever is needed is is great. I've also seen um, my team think through different working hours. Uh, some, you know, they're teaching their kids at home while at the same time trying to work on some pretty um, pretty demanding schedules from a work perspective. And so we, we've literally had to think differently about how do we change our work schedules so we accommodate those circumstances. Um, and that's, that's been great as well. I'll also tell you that we've gotten to know some of the kids of our, our team members, some of the spouses. Um, and I mentioned before the animals, that's always, always fun. <laughs> yep. So uh, um, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. The, um, the, the, I mean, are you, 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 you think about a, a strengthening a team. I mean, you're going to have the uh, uh, the team's going to be ten times stronger after the you know through this process after after going through all that and and helping each other out. I mean, you're never going to have you're you're going to have a just an awesome. You're going to take a team that was already good and you're going to make it even even better. It's like a team building activity, yeah. like an extended <laughs> extended is, home team is. building. Because <laughs> that's what you're looking for, right? Is people to make that human connection where where you're not just you know Trey, my boss, or Trey, my coworker. You're like, oh wow, you have this kind of a dog, and your kid is you know they're they're drawing or what what's you know you get to know them a little more personally. I mean, that's what team building is all about. Those exercises are all about. And, and we're sort of getting that with people, like you said, having a more human reaction to one another. Uh, I had a coworker who uh, has a newborn and had not stocked up on baby wipes right before the crisis. I mean, I don't know what it looks like now, but there were no baby wipes. And so me and several other coworkers were out like hunting for baby wipes. And I eventually was able to buy like 128, you know, a pack, you know, a giant pack or whatever. So he should have wipes for six months now, but like the, you know, you, you know, you wouldn't have, that's something we would not never have been, you know, coming together to work on is like, Oh, this guy needs baby wipes, you know, like, but I think anybody who's raised a newborn knows that's like a, that's critical infrastructure. Yeah. Gotta have it. 
Well, I, you know, the other thing I think is I do a lot of one-on-ones with my direct team members. I do what's called skip level uh, one-on-ones. And uh, um, in those skip level one-on-ones and in those direct one-on-ones, before it was, you know, what are you up to? How can I help? You know, if we have time, I'll give you a couple updates on what's going on strategy-wise in the company. Today, we spend probably the first five minutes of a 30-minute one-on-one just, how's things going? What are you doing around the house? What are you what are you doing to break the time? What show did you watch on Netflix? You know, I've, I've been watching Ozarks. That's great. Have you watched it? It's, it's just, you know, that Tiger King thing was crazy. <laughs> um, um, it's just a, an entirely different discussion. And it's good. Do you ever have any dogs barking in your meetings? That's <laughs> uh, funny. See? Yeah, exactly. Like that. Um, you know, one thing I heard about from talking to uh, someone last week was they were doing office hours. Like they had like a time where for like two hours or an hour, you could just sort of drop into the Zoom or whatever conferencing software they were using, which I thought was pretty cool. So like oh. the manager just kind of says, hey, from 9 to 11, you can try to drop in. And if you want to, you can kind of hang out there and hear what other people are asking. So it was kind of a neat thing. That's like a non-private it's a, like not, a, a yeah. virtual stop and chat. Yeah, you like we used to do, you know, like people would stop by my office and then next thing you know, you'd have four people there and you're kind of all just shooting the shit, but you're also maybe updating them on yeah. what's going on or, you it's know, the, you, the Zoom water cooler. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> Interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of kind of cool. I like that. We are, actually, we are actually doing, we are, we are doing that in addition to the, the water cooler. We call them virtual office office hours. Yep. There are also many enterprising sales teams um, who are doing a virtual bar and grill. Um, and those are fun as well to step in and see uh, the goofiness of, of folks. How does that um, work? How, how of course virtual... sales teams are going to do the bar and grill. So the bar <laughs> do they get to expense it? It's quite... <laughs> no. <laughs> so so it's, it's quite fun in that you, you, you come in and they'll have, have a drink and everyone's chatting. And then next thing you know, I've seen a couple where someone will pick up a guitar and then someone will start, you know, chiming in, singing a song, and everybody's just having oh, that's a good cool. old time. Are they doing and that with customers? Like, i.e., this is sort of like a sales tool? They or? have invited customers to these things, huh. and it's been uh, quite incredible. But it's been an internal, and I've seen it done with customers before. As a matter of fact, there's a standing one. I think it's every Wednesday. Um, and I just had to stop going to it on Wednesday because it, it was affecting my productivity. <laughs> yeah. Well, because that's part of the that's part of the reason like sales staff will take the customer out of their working environment, you know, for lunch or for a drink or whatever. And, you know, I don't think that's always just like to sort of like you know, it's like a bribe or something like I, I always thought of it as like you, you can't the customer can't think about what they really need and whether this purchase is, is valuable to them sometimes when they're in the constraints of their, you know, what we would have said office space, you know, like, so when we got taken out, uh, Paul and I, you know, we were customers for many years, we get taken out for lunch, it was more an opportunity to think creatively, it was like our mind was transformed out of our daily routine. So that's really an interesting creative way to think about it. Because 
they're just essentially replicating that experience, but but with this sort of virtual um, space. I you know I was a customer years ago as well, and I I found when I was inside the walls of my you know company that often I would not share an issue that I was encountering that this particular technology partner can help me out with. And at the end of the day, as customers open up more um, to technology uh, companies that are willing to be consultative with them, then we can collaborate with the knowledge that we have about each other's circumstance to help pivot to a better way. And that's where these outside of the office environments, you know, help dramatically. If you think about the types of challenges that businesses around the world are encountering today because of what everyone refers to as the new normal, you know, when we talk about, you know, large entertainment venues, how um, theme parks, um, even hospitals, you know, hospitals have 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 been so busy in the first few weeks that they couldn't even contemplate an upgrade to infrastructure. They were just trying to survive with the influx of, of patients that they had in. Now there's a challenge of, we have this funding that we, we need to either use to pay prior bills or upgrade existing things that are, are necessary and to figure out how to navigate through that and to do that in an optimal way you know, creating these linkages between an organization like ours and these organizations whose businesses are changing and thinking differently is, is something that we're spending a lot of time talking internally about because the old playbook has applicability in the terms of how we use technology in different circumstances, but there's a new playbook being written yeah. about ways that we can use new technologies. Yeah, it is kind of shifting the whole thing on its side, right? And you're, you're having to rethink your whole, potentially your business model, how you're working with clients. I mean, it's sort of every, it, which in a way it could be good, right? Because you could, like you're saying, you could kind of rethink, look at things differently. How could we do this? What's a better way? You know, is this really working for us? You know, uh, so yeah. Well, it's funny. We, we, um, we spent a lot of time in the last few weeks as a leadership team talking about our return to office strategy and the words are chosen that way for very precise meaning we are working so we are not returning to work we are discussing strategies around returning to office and the realities are is that that will be phased over time i will tell you that i traveled a lot how many miles did you do? <laughs> did you? <20 laughs> years. I don't even. I don't even remember. But I, I, on one particular airline, if I had a tight gate, they picked me up at the door of the aircraft, threw me into a car, and drove me to the other plane, which irritated quite a few people when it <laughs> did happen, but was very beneficial for, for, for me to be able to get home or to get to an appointment on time. I miss flying because I can catch up on stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's something about that nice quiet time where you can kind of shut things off and you can kind of, maybe you can think about something you can right. write, yeah. you can, you can, 
you can kind of be a little disconnected, even though sometimes you have Wi-Fi, but you can still kind of, you know, say, <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm not paying the $16. Although I'm sure you weren't paying the $16 with that kind of oh, for status. The <laughs> well, it just, rem- well, and also even when, it, even when the Wi-Fi is going in the airplane, it's not perfect. It, it re- totally reminds me, you know, Paul and I like to go on vacation at a certain spot where for a long, t- like 20 years ago or uh, 15 years ago, cell service didn't work at all there. And then maybe 10 years ago, it was just sort of spotty where maybe when we were at the campground, we could get a signal, but not during the day. And one of the best parts of that was just being able to say to our coworkers, you guys have got it. Like we we're going to be completely unaccessible. And airplanes are like that, right? You're, if you're on a 10 hour flight, you can't be expected to be on at during that time. But now you could be on all the time. <laughs> yeah, Trey. Look no, at you. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a Faraday cage and put it in my office <laughs> so I can shut myself off from the world. That would look that would look cool on the on the Zoom. We also. need mandatory <laughs> internet brownouts, right? Like rolling internet brownouts. It's like, hey, sorry, I I lost my internet for two hours. It just happens. What can I do? <laughs> That's a good point. You know, you're like, I had a power outage. I can't. You know, power or internet. <laughs> For the first 50 people to fill out our form at evotech.com slash TNT20. It's our 20th episode. Oh, wow. Evotech.com slash TNT20. The first 50 people on April 29th only will receive a Bluetooth headset. It's one of those like nice ones that goes and pops in your ear and you can kind of run around and do your have your day oh, and great. on the phone, listen to music, whatever. That's awesome. So that's pretty cool. The other thing is everybody that enters in on that form as well will be entered in for a drawing for a Dell laptop. So we actually Wow. Uh, yeah. So we, we got some cool. good we got some good swag. Hey, thank you, Dell. So Trey, you kinda mentioned it like you, you, you uh early on in your career you were a customer. I'd like to get into that a little bit and just, you know, tell us a little bit about your kinda I know you were in the military in the uh, in intelligence, I think. Um, but maybe kind of just give us a little insight into those early days there. Yeah. So, um, I actually, uh, came out of high school directly into the United States army and, um, went to a place called, uh, after basic training to a place called Fort Huachuca, Arizona starts with an H hmm. And it is in a town near Sierra Vista, which is right on the border of Mexico. And that is the U.S. Army Intelligence School uh, that's held down there. And a lot of interesting things happen down there. Um, One of the things that I went for was imagery intelligence uh, to read out what are called um, air breathing and non-air breathing uh, photography. and it's sensors as opposed to lens-based photography. And uh, so everything from SR-71 to certain types of remote non-air breathing sensors <laughs> were things that I were trained to read out um, imagery of and identify you know, certain orders of battle. Um, I actually had an affinity for uh, um, just about every different... Or- order a battle from artillery to tanks to aircraft. And so, um, I was given the wonderful assignment and I don't, I don't mean that jokingly of going to United States central command, which is in Tampa, Florida 
at McDill Air Force Base. And on that same base is another unified command uh, called uh, United States Special Operations Command. Those of you who play Call of Duty would know it is SOCOM. And uh, <laughs> that's where it is. And that's where uh, we basically fight wars for uh, special operations activities around the world. And um, essentially, the Middle East area of responsibility uh, is covered. So I worked for um, a general who was called the J-2, which is essentially the intelligence general. And I read out indications and warning uh, uh, imagery for him and uh, directed it to forces that are on the ground. And so I, I traveled a lot of different places, saw a lot of interesting things, hung out with a lot of... Uh, cool military units but um um i did that for six years and um found that there was a civilian pathway to setting up communications infrastructures that transported stuff like this that didn't involve projectiles being shot at you <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's really um, cool i actually went to that base uh i have a brother a brother-in-law that was a colonel in the army and we went down there on vacation once, and we went onto the base, I think, just to kind of, he was just showing me around. And uh, what a beautiful place that is, that McDill, it is a, that base is. It is wonderful. And a lot of the special operations guys uh, train out of Tampa Bay in their, you know, water insertion techniques and stuff like that. And um, there's a there's a golf course on the southernmost tip of the base that I used to play golf all the time. I think it cost me three bucks to play around the golf. <laughs> that there. is an amazing golf good. course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't play, yeah. but I saw it. I saw it, and I was yeah. like, wow. I mean, it's, it's really cool. It's neat. The other thing that we used to do is a lot of the guys that I would go on deployments with loved the water, so they all had jet skis, and we go from Tampa to towards uh, Clearwater Beach, Florida. And there is a place called the Courtney Campbell Causeway. And we used to get surfboards and tie ski ropes to the jet skis <laughs> and pull the surfboards down the Courtney Campbell Causeway and just be, you know, stupid boys. Yeah. So uh, it was a good time. <laughs> that, that sounds like a good time. Anytime you have water and engines I, I always i always like water and engines yeah that's a good combustion time. combustion engines yeah. are usually fun so how how did that that military experience and 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 that service you know help you or how has it kind of guided you you know throughout your career i'm sure it's been huge but I, you know, it's, it's helped me in, in two ways. First of all, it, it, it got me started in technology um, in a big way. Um, at, at the time, we were transmitting imagery over networks. And um, a lot, a lot, not a lot of people know the following, but everybody knows what a MAC address is. Well, in a FDDI network, the MAC address is flipped from where an Ethernet address is. So you need something to flip the address so communications can occur. And the only thing that did it was Cisco routers at the time. Had an FDI, FDDI interface and an Ethernet interface, and nobody knew how to set these things up. So I ended up having to set these things up <laughs> both tactically and in the skiffs that we were running, you know, these, these image, image collection environments too. 
And I just fell in love with technology, fell in love with Unix, set up spark workstations in the field, everywhere, satellite dishes. I mean, it, it just, that's what got me started. I think the thing that's helped me from a leadership perspective is um, when, you're, when you are an enlisted or a young officer um, in the US military, no matter the branch, the first time that you see a general a single star general, that star is the largest thing that you've ever seen in your life. And you are terrified. <laughs> you, you can't speak. And I being stationed at United States Central Command, I had more generals walking around that place. I had a four star general that I worked for. Schwarzkopf uh, was there when I was there. And these people are larger than life personalities that demand excellence. They demand clarity and communication. And I remember um, I was reading out uh, some imagery. And it turns out that there was a place in, in Iraq um, called uh, Baghdad SA-3 missile site. And there was another uh, site called Baghdad SA-4 missile site. The SA-4 missile site after the war had an SA-3 missile uh, had an SA-3 missile system, and the other one had the opposite. Well, it turns out that one of these systems came online that was supposed to be out of service, and uh, there was there was some enforcement over the, um, one of the parallels that were going to monitor the no-fly zone. And I went down to meet the general in the indications and warning center. And I said, I got some new information I need to report to you. This site is active with this particular piece of weaponry. And he blew me off saying, ah, we know about that. We're good. And, and he had transposed the names. And I walked out of the room and I, I stopped. I turned back around. You don't do this. But I had to go and tell the general he's wrong. And <laughs> you, you tiptoe around this. And so... I called him out. He tried to shoo me off and I would not stop talking into which the colonel who was in there told me to get the heck out of there. And, and he followed me out and he says, what's going on and why are you risking your career to have that type of conversation with that man? And I said, because this is why he said, I will take care of it. Um, he came back down. Um, it ended up, no one was hurt, which was the only thing I was worried about is yeah. I don't want a U.S. soldier to get killed. Um, the colonel came up to me afterwards as I was going off shift, and he says, here's how you handle that situation in the future. Here's how you communicate to a general. Explain to him what, that he's wrong, even though that, you know, he, he doesn't realize that he's wrong. Here's how you more effectively communicate. I have lived with that throughout my life. I'm not always good at it, but I teach that to the people who work with me, how to communicate effectively. I try very, very much to communicate efficiently and effectively to, to people that, that I, I report to. And um, um, that is one thing that I think um, all folks from any walk of life could benefit for how efficiently the military uh, command structure communicates within itself because you communicate the right information in the right amount of time and there's no baloney along the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Early, early on in my career, I, I, uh, I think I was an engineering intern at Qualcomm and I, I was sort of, um, I don't know how I got into this role, but I, I used to work a lot with our executive VP who was one of the founders because he, you mentioned kind of Spark, the reason I thought of it is you mentioned like Spark workstations and we were buying those things for doing like VLSI engineering back then and all that stuff. And 
he he was involved in the procurement of every workstation back then. I mean, the company was pretty small. It was maybe it was five hundred people or something like that. So he was he was like the guy that was the gatekeeper. So I got to see kind of his the way he communicated, the way he wanted to be communicated too. And I was just kind of like just soaking it all in. Didn't really realize it at the time, but that that kind of experience when you're young and you you kind of see, I can imagine with with uh, Schwarzkopf and all those guys that that's pretty pretty amazing. Uh, you know, you know, he he passed away a few years back, but um, I, I'll say one of the things that no one realizes, and in, in most of the individuals that that elevate themselves to that rank are incredibly intelligent. And one of the things that I observed one time is uh, typically, a, 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 in this case, an Air Force captain, but some captain rank of some service. CENTCOM was a, a, is a unified command with all branches of service. And Schwarzkopf was the commander-in-chief for what we ca- call the sink of that command. And at the time, he actually... Um, actually just before his time, they carried nuclear release authority in their area of responsibility. So they were, you walked into a room, everybody <laughs> stood up. Yeah. And so there were briefing intelligence briefings that we would get, um, inside the skiff and those lower ranking analysts would sit on the back and then the general and his staff would sit at the table. And then there was a projection screen that would have, you know, any sort of imagery that needs to be put up or things like that. And the captain would essentially read the briefing document. And a lot of uh, generals would ask questions along the way. Not Schwarzkopf. He would get 40 minutes through a entirely read briefing by this captain. And then at the end of the captain's remarks... Schwarzkopf would know every single analyst in the room and what their responsibility was, the paragraph that was written by them in that briefing, and he would repeat it word for word and ask them questions. It was wow. it was an identic memory. It was unbelievable. And a person that has that aptitude for so many different areas of things and be able to know around the room who are the experts and to ask them in context the exact words that they wrote after he just heard it for 30 minutes it's unbelievable yeah but i think i think that the, was the man that's the leadership i think that's a great leadership quality of when you're when you're in those kind of meetings you know whether it's a corp, corporate meeting whatever and the leader will i like when they address you know some of the folks on that are sort of on the ground, if you will, that are the, the ones that wrote the stuff or that they they're intimately familiar with it. And they'll go to them and be like, you know, help me understand why this doesn't allow for this or whatever. And they can kind of I, I think that's the you know, I, I really don't like it when a senior person kind of just talks to whoever the, you know, sort of next person chain of command wise is. And it's like this translation effect goes on and you're like, Ugh, <laughs> could you just. Just talk right. to the, the, we got the person right here. Can we, can you speak to them, please? So, uh, well, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Jack Welsh who recently passed. And, uh, if you read one of his books, he, he, he talks about a factory line worker when he first took over GE that he was asking how to improve a process and the factory line worker, um, um, was making fidgety movements in uh, in the the meeting room, 
And Jack looked at him, took the marker and said, do you have something to say? (laughs) And he stood up and he wrote how the process worked and where the gaps were in the process. And at the end of it, the employee said, said to Jack, you paid me for 20 years to use my hands. This is the first time in 20 years somebody asked me, asked me to use my brain and I would have given it to you for free. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's powerful. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so we already talked, we talked a lot about kind of what, what some of the positives that are coming out of this. Um, wh- one thing, uh, that I wanted to get into a little bit was, was, uh, I, I saw recently, uh, uh, a Forrester study that Dell, I think, I don't know if Dell sponsored it or I don't know how that, how that works, but it, it was talking about how like 44% of, of companies don't have the, you know, the, the IT expertise to deploy the technology that we have out today. And I know this kind of translate, I wanted to kind of bring it back to some of the things that you're working on these days. This video conferencing technology or? No, 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 Which no. Te- just, just all technology, any technology. Well, yeah, I think like infrastructure technologies and things like oh, wow. that, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of, and I think that's kind of where uh, Trey's area is where they've built this, you know, the, the way I kind of get there is that Jeff and I, you know, years ago when we built new data centers and we were trying to deploy all kinds of technology, you know, the first thing that happens is you go, well, what are you going to run in there? Right. Well, I, I don't know what we're going <laughs> to run in there yet. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. you can't, it's hard to build stuff when you don't know what you're building it for. You're sort of like, I, I want all this capacity, but I don't really know how I'm going to use it. You know? And yeah, so it was funny. Yeah. The data center engineer, you know, before we had good data center engineering, it didn't matter because they were just, we're going to give you four walls and some cooling and some power and hopefully it's what you need. But when they got really good at it, they were like, well, you know, to engineer this, I need to know how many CPUs, how many cores, how, how many, you know, what, what, how many watts are you going to pull? And we're just like, we don't know. I mean, <laughs> we'll be building that for years. How, how do we know what's going to go in there? Whatever the customer needs. <laughs> but, well, not a lot of, not a lot of people remember, but. I assume we do, but when I first started in the industry, a server was a thing that ran an app and it connected into the things it needed to talk to, to run that app. Um, Since our time in this industry, a server is now a thing that runs some type of logical partitioning of resource with that, that houses within that partitioning um, resource for an application. And that server interacts with uh, a lot of other shared resources that are consumed and utilized by those partitioned instantiations of applications. And then the infrastructure connectivity, which enables that high-speed throughput has has exponentially grown in both speed, um, complexity, and capability. And so, you know, from the time I started, it was relatively easy to stitch some infrastructure together. These days, um, there are enormous amounts of dependencies. Um, 
in some cases, just the, just a server family, um, the configuration parameters to integrate it into a storage array and the sand and land fabric, which would be deployed to integrate it could have billions of potential configuration variables that needed to be evaluated and decided upon. And, and the, the reality is, is that as we consume more and more technologies in our data centers, there are people that have less and less expertise to understand all of those interdependencies maintaining all of those variables you, you require a phd in understanding integration dependencies and so um, we are seeing a significant increase in organizations spending money on technologies that actually take the the best practices that exist in a mind of an expert codifies that best practice in some form of template and then through software-based technologies, automate an outcome um, versus expecting a human to derive that outcome. So the human creates the outcome in software. The software creates the outcome in infrastructure. And um, hmm. that is the way that we get leveraged to scale um, um, the, this administrative capacity that we need to deal with this exponential growth that we have in infrastructure. And, and teams like mine are, are building technologies like that. There are tons of, of other folks out there in the industry who are, who are off on the same theme, mm -hmm. um, the same genre. And um, we're, we're all dealing with it an exciting time right now where, where I think we'll change a lot of the landscape of the future. And, and um, everyone, I think, will benefit tremendously from the, 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 the path that we're paving. paving. No, that's cool. I, yeah, it's, it, it seems like there's, like you mentioned, the the technical expertise, the 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 people just aren't there. Aren't the people in these organizations anymore that necessarily have, you know, they're not. We're not really growing the, that that infrastructure kind of knowledge. It seems like like we like we were uh, people out of school. They probably, you know, they're going more into software engineering or they're going into these different areas. They'd rather kind of write the application than sort of, you know, work uh, on the infrastructure below it, right? And it seems like, at least I, I definitely noticed that. One of the things... Is it interesting? Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, no, go ahead. It's, it's interesting. I think that there has been a trend in the last several years where infrastructure was not as cool. <laughs> um, and then <clears throat> what I see what I see happening is, is that there's this new type of software engineer <clears throat> that's in, I would characterize as an infrastructure software engineer. And, and what I mean is, is they understand the integration dependencies of infrastructure, whether it be software-based infrastructure or physical infrastructure, but they are also capable of, of writing code. It, it is in the theme of the DevOps-minded individual, but I see there is a, there's a growing um, market for folks who get those, those 
left brain, bright, right brain types of skills. And I'm excited to see that piece of the industry grow and that skill set grow. It'll, it'll, it'll be good for all of us when that happens. Yeah. Th yeah. That's, that's for sure. And I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. The other thing that uh, I thought was that maybe, maybe we'll kind of end on this note is that, that I thought was pretty cool. You, you had an interest, you, you manage teams that are both doing product management and engineering and, and you get uh, customers coming to you that are, you know, saying, I want this, I want this, I, you know, this doesn't work, that sucks, you know, give me this, you know, they're kind of all their requests and everything. And you had an interesting, I'd like you to share maybe your thoughts around how you look at kind of that, that mix between customer wants and needs versus, you know, engineers and, and product management. So it's, it's, um, it's an interesting thing because it's a daily <laughs> dialogue that we manage through because, you know, it, when engineers and product managers dig their heels in, it's almost like they can't collaborate. And so um, every once in a while, every team drifts into that space where, hey, I'm responsible for writing the requirements, product managers. And I understand the business needs. You just do what I say. And engineers say, I understand how this stuff works. And you need to give me requirements that can actually be built because the stuff that you're writing makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and I'm never going to be able to build it. So somewhere from those two digging your heels in ends of the earth, we need to get those folks to understand that if, 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 if we collaboratively engage – on the requirements and understand what's possible, then we can build better requirements. If the engineers understand the business side of things and why we're pursuing certain segments of the market, why we're solving certain problems, they can potentially solve for uh, problems that we didn't know that we could. I, and uh, one of the things I shared with you in our last discussion is there's an age old wise, wise tale about NASA during the uh, Mercury days where um, the quote unquote product managers said, um, we need to have a ballpoint pen work in space. And so the requirements that got written out for it were to make um, ink work in zero gravity. And so the engineers spent millions of dollars trying to make ink work in zero gravity. It never would but nobody was talking from a customer perspective that the real intent that the product managers wanted was to write in space and the engineers would have gave them a pencil if they just said that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, I'm proud of my team and that they figure they, they continuously find ways to work themselves through those areas. But I find that um, a lot of times I have to coach team members state your problem you know what are you trying to solve why are you trying to solve it uh, that way and I'm constantly telling the engineers to understand the business problem that they're trying to solve by building this technology I, I would say that the final piece of that is any technology that you build it has to be sustainable and um, oftentimes you can let teams operate in silos so they build technologies that stand alone 
and in that standing alone become unsustainable and untenable business models. And so as I lead these teams to try to collaborate together and use both of their skills um, 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 in driving a common outcome, that's that's my primary focus is let's build technologies that solve real customer problems that we can build innovative capabilities going in the future and that sustaining them is easier and easier over time so we improve the customer experience and they get the highest quality you know frictionless product to implement and manage uh, in their environment so that's that's what we strive to. Sometimes we do good. Other days we do worse. Um, <laughs> we're, we're our worst critics. And um, we just try to keep knowing what good looks like. And uh, through that, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll at the end uh, make the world a better place. Well, I think, you know, having someone like yourself at the, at the helm of that is, uh, um, I have no doubt that, that uh, you'll do great things. Do great I mean, things. really, uh, really uh, Enjoy talking to you, Trey. I could talk to you for hours and hours, but yeah, it's fascinating. I, I like Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's love to uh, love to talk to you again, and and uh, really appreciate you sharing some of the great stories of your team and your people, and how you guys are doing things. And um, you know, look forward to uh, again talking to you again. And thank you so much for coming on, and I uh, hope you have a good week. Awesome. Stay safe. Yep. Best to all your families. And thank you guys for spending the time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Trey. Thanks, Trey. Bye-bye. So that was Trey Layton, Senior VP at uh, at Dell. All right. He's fantastic. So uh, this episode was brought to you by Dell Technologies. Uh, Jeffrey, I wanted to let you know this is our first sponsored episode. Oh, wow. I love it. Yeah. So we actually uh, have a sponsorship now. And uh, so so we want to... Do I get a cut of that? Uh, Will there be a check? <laughs> oh, crap. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. But, <laughs> That's my uh, first question. <laughs> but please visit DellTechnologies.com. And uh, again, we appreciate uh, Trey, Trey Layton coming on. Yeah, he was a heck of a guest. A lot of fascinating, fascinating topics and uh, really making me think a little differently about the situation we're in. Uh, I think the thing we talked about was like the more human connection that we're all having now. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I, I don't work as much in the technology space anymore. Uh, so I had just completely um, spaced out on that. And, 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 and as you guys were fleshing it out, it really dawned on me that... Uh, you know, being in each other's homes really is, is connecting people in, in uh, interesting little side effect. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of what I was so excited from. I talked to him for just a few minutes um, before we did the episode and I was like, Oh, this guy's going to be, this guy's going to be great. Like I don't even need to, I, I kind of ended the call early with him. Cause I was like, I, he could go in any direction anytime you wanted. It was great. Right. Okay. So a couple other things that we want to do. So for the first 50 people, to fill out uh, our form at evotech.com slash TNT20. It's our 20th episode. Oh, wow. So evotech.com slash TNT20. The first 50 people on April 29th only uh, will receive a Bluetooth headset. It's one of those like in-ear, kind of like the 
nice ones that goes and pops in your ear and you can kind of run around and do your have your day oh, and great. get on the phone, listen to music, whatever. That's awesome. So that's pretty cool. The other thing is everybody that enters in on that form as well will be entered in for a drawing for a Dell laptop. So we actually Wow. Uh, yeah. So we, we got some cool. good we got some good swag. Hey, thank you, Dell. So thanks to Dell for all of that cool stuff. And our hosts and employees of the podcast uh I, I was excluded? just gonna I was just gonna get to the to the red tape. Oh so boy. Okay. Ev- Gosh. Anyone, anyone affiliated with the technology and things podcast uh is obviously not able to win. Oh, Sorry, Jeffrey. Darn it. Darn uh, employee, I need a new laptop, as we know. Employees or family <laughs> members of Dell Technologies, Evotech, and affiliated companies, of course, so are also not eligible to win. Uh, and then we will announce the winner on May 1st. And uh, you will be contacted by the Evotech marketing team. Are we going to announce it on our podcast, too? Or will we... Well, that's a good. That's a good. We like probably our first could. episode after the. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. We could announce the winner. We will do that. That's a good. Or idea. When, is it one winner or the? There'll be actually multiple winners. There's multiple because people are going to get headsets. The first fifty get headsets. Yeah, right. Wow. And then the that's first cool. fifty get a headset, and then everybody that enters in on the form on April 29th will be entered in for that as well. So Chance you, for you a could laptop. technically win both, I suppose. Right, uh, right. If you're in early, yeah, that's great. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next time. TNT out. Mm